This week on Grape Encounters Radio... The device looks like a medical device, right? It does, a little bit. Or maybe something off of Star Trek, perhaps? Actually, a con- well, not even a construction tool. It looks like it could kill people. That's true. And now, transmitting our signal to wine lovers of the world from our Atascadero Wine Cellar Studio in the heart of the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California, we bring you Grape Encounters with David Wilson. Feel me a grape, crush me some ice... Skin me a peach, save the fuzz for my pillow. Talk to me nice. Grape Encounters Radio, and as you can naturally understand, I talk about wine just about, I would say, maybe 70% of my waking hours, because that's just the world that I live in. I cannot tell you how many times I hear somebody say, oh, I had this wine and it turned to vinegar. And the temptation for me to turn to them and say, no, it didn't, is very strong. And most of the time I'm polite and I just let them believe that that's vinegar in their bottle. What it is is something very terrible that you would never put on a salad. And I thought maybe the time has come that we dispel that idea once and for all, that your wine will turn into vinegar. Hence, if you've got a bottle of wine that was undrinkable or a bottle of wine that you didn't finish drinking, you can just leave it out there on the counter and in a week or two or three or four, you can just sprinkle it all over your bib lettuce. Don't do that. It will not turn into vinegar by itself. And if you don't believe me, maybe you'll believe some vinegar experts that I have in the studio today. They're from Chaparral Gardens. They make artisan vinegars. I have just, by the way, before we did this, I tasted through, how many, Craig? Twelve different vinegars? Twelve different vinegars. And then I went back and I had seconds on one of them. (laughs) It's Craig and Carrie Clark, uh, Chaparral Gardens Artisan Vinegars, which happened to be uh, just down the road from my studio. And you guys are winning awards like mad, national awards, best vinegars in the known world? (laughs) Or something like that? Uh, Oh, planet Earth. Earth. Well, planet Earth is the known world, Carrie. (laughs) Yeah, anyway, so you guys make how many different kinds of vinegars? Uh, We... Well, that's kind of a... We this make, is not a trick question. Yes, we, yeah. <laughs> well, it kind of is, because there's we make a variety of vinegars for certain companies that they're the only ones that have it. So I have 13 different vinegars in the bottle that I sell, but I also make... There's three or four others that I make specially for certain companies, and they're the only ones that have it. I'm going with just under 20. There you go. Okay. <laughs> all right. With plenty more to come, right? <laughs> yeah. And you make your vinegars from all kinds of different things. Now, a lot of the vinegar that you make doesn't come from grapes at all, and this is the one thing I think, I think most people, don't they, kind of believe that vinegar starts with grapes? Mm-hmm. They do. And that would be wrong. That would be wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like the big companies, the great big corporations out there that are doing like a distilled white vinegar, they ferment birch wood. No. They, yeah. they ferment no. wood. No. Say it isn't so. It is so. Birch wood. Yep. So, you know. I, when we get off the air, I'm going to write down the names of these companies. I'm never buying vinegar. And I'm going to ask people if they use that vinegar. And I'm not eating birch vinegar ever again. <laughs> Some crazy. comes from corn, right? Some comes from corn. And you make vinegar from corn. We make well. ours from a non-GMO corn. Uh, we start, all of our fruit vinegars start with a non-GMO corn uh, that is fermented into an alcohol. And then we ferment the and alcohol. And then you have a whole line of vinegars that are made from grapes, right? Correct. Zinfandel is what you choose, right? We choose a Zen grape. Correct. All right. So how many times do you hear what I was talking about just a moment ago, people say, 
their wine turned to vinegar or it's turning to vinegar. You hear it all the time. Do people ever bring you their wine and say, here, just make vinegar out of this? You know, we've been asked, uh, we've been asked but I usually <laughs> turn them down just because they won't have enough. It takes time and a little bit of effort right. to make a vinegar. So it's not like they can just bring it to me and I can snap my fingers and they're going to have some vinegar. Okay, so you have sitting on the table something that I think came out of the Chaparral Gardens Laboratory, right? <laughs> I do, yeah. The best I can describe it, it kind of looks like a jar full of that ginger that they put on your plate at a sushi restaurant, you know what I'm saying? But a little more gooey, and there's a lot of moisture in there. Correct. Now that I think about it, it looks kind of gross. What is it? This is what they call vinegar mother, which is a natural occurring acetic acid bacteria that will grow in a vinegar. You also need it to start a vinegar. It's kind of like the yeast for a sourdough bread. It's the starter for the vinegar. So if you do not have vinegar mother to put into that wine that you think is turning to vinegar, you won't ever get to that point. There's not enough acetic acid bacteria or acetobacter floating in the ambient air to turn that bottle to vinegar. You have got to add the vinegar mother. Also, you have to incorporate a lot of oxygen into the uh, the alcohol liquid in so order for it to turn. So you have to aerate the alcohol you then? You do. Yes, huh? correct. Most definitely. Very interesting. So, but somebody could get that mother, and if they had a stash of that, then they could take bottles of wine, hypothetically, mm -hmm. and turn them into vinegar. They could. But that wine needs a mother. If yeah. there's no mother in it, it's just going to sit Everybody needs a mother. Anyway, mm -hmm. but don't you have to distill the wine down first? Is, is that something that you need to do, or does it go into the wine just straight? Goes into the wine just straight. Just straight. Just okay. Straight. Yeah. But the corn you distill, right? We distill the corn in order That's to the make difference. the alcohol. You have to have alcohol. To make vinegar, it's a double fermentation process. First fermentation, you make alcohol. Second fermentation is you ferment that alcohol off in order to get a vinegar. And in order to get in order to ferment the alcohol off, you need to incorporate oxygen and acetic acid. So I was told a long time ago, if you have a bottle of vinegar in your cabinet and there's some white gunk floating on top, that that's the mother. That is the mother. And I could take that. And how do I keep it alive? What's the care and feeding of mother of vinegar? It needs oxygen and sugar. Sugar. So it needs a little bit of sugar. Is there sugar in that jar? There's no sugar in this jar, no. But there's sugars inside of the fruits that are in the tanks. I see. Where we are fermenting. So this develops within our tanks, uh, and we have a different vinegar mother for each one of our different flavored vinegars. We're talking to Craig and Carrie Clark of Chaparral Gardens Artisan Vinegars on the Central Coast of California, and we're trying to dispel the idea that a lot of people have that you can just take your wine and let it turn into vinegar. It will not do that. What happens when the wine actually oxidizes its it, can we make vinegar out of that, or are we done? As long as you have the vinegar mother, you only need about 10 or 11% alcohol in order to convert into a vinegar. The more alcohol, the longer it takes but to that, convert. But that, but that so, awful oxidized flavor in the wine, will that go away when you turn it to vinegar? So can you, actually, you can actually use a turned wine. You can use a turned wine. Oh, Most my definitely. gosh. This is a revelation here. <laughs> So you and just, that's usually what's happening is people are tasting the the turn of that wine because they left it sitting out on the counter all night. But that's going to go away when you turn it to vinegar. When you turn it to vinegar. So because what, do I, what do I have to do? You have to go down to a lot of your local, uh, a lot of your wine shops or beer shops, beer supply shops will have a powdered form of vinegar mother. 
Okay. And you take a little bit of that. You add it to what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to take it out of the bottle, put it into like a mason jar that has a wider opening at the top. Yeah. And put a little bit of vinegar mother into it. Give it a nice stir. Cover it so no bugs or anything gets into it with a little cheesecloth. Okay. And set it in a cool, dark place that's about 70 to 75 degrees and let it sit. Come back and just keep smelling it. And over the next month or two, it will convert into a vinegar. And you basically just go off of smell. If you're doing a home version, you're just going to go off of smell. And when it starts to get that vinegar acid smell, give it a taste. See if it's where you like Mm -hmm. it. If it's where you like it, put it into a bottle. Put it in your refrigerator. It'll keep for about four weeks or so. You're going to start losing a little bit of the flavorings. But uh, but anyways, that's basically how you're going to do it. You're going to get a little bit of Vinegar Mother okay. and let it sit. So you could either take the Vinegar Mother, you can take good wines and turn them into vinegar. Mm-hmm. You could take the Vinegar Mother, take your turned wine, and you'd actually be able to save it. Or, best idea of all, you could go to cgvinegar.com, order some professionally made vinegars, and dump that terrible wine, right? That works. Yes. That works well. That's, yes. that's the best we're idea. We're very particular on, on our the grapes and what it is that we're using. So. I know you are. I've tasted all of your vinegars, and they're all just off the charts good. Anyway, I appreciate you guys coming in and talking to me about this. That, that's really an important lesson, but the revelation for me is that you could actually do it with a turned wine, so I just wonder if I could borrow your mother for a couple <laughs> sure. of days? Absolutely. Sure Absolutely. Hey, how do you know if, if, you know, when you take this powder and you're making this sort of starter, mm-hmm. how do you know if your mother died? What's going to actually happen, it's going to start to form. It's going to actually start to grow because it's alive. It's an alive. That's alive. It's, this is alive. It's a bacteria that is He's alive. He's thrusting a and jar it, of <laughs> mother of vinegar at me. And it's it, alive! It's alive! And at, over time, over, a cup, over the first couple weeks, you're going to start to see a little film on the top of that wine. That is vinegar mother that is starting to grow. If you leave it alone, it grows in layers and it will get thicker and thicker and thicker. Okay. This is very interesting. Film at 11, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you coming in. And uh, uh, you know what? Let's try this at home. And if you guys are successful at home at making vinegar, uh, don't send me any. Uh, Don't send me any, but write me at uh, Grape Encounters. Just uh, write to David at GrapeEncountersRadio.com. I'd love to hear your vinegar story, and it was nice to hear your vinegar story, Craig and Carrie Clark, Chaparral Gardens Artisan Vinegars. You guys, thanks very much. Awesome. Thank you, David. I say we uh, turn off the microphones and we make a salad. Mm. (laughs) Fantastic. Are you in? This is not just a wine show. This is Grape Encounters. We like to talk about wine. We're all guilty of sin. We open a costly bottle of wine and recork it with the intent of drinking the rest later. But later comes and goes, and that delicious wine also goes. South, that is. The Coravin is the most reliable way to enjoy your wine without any concern about the unconsumed wine going bad. And while the Coravin wine access system costs a bit more than other preservation systems, it does something they don't. It works. Perfectly. The Coravin is a beautifully engineered handheld device that gives you access to your wine through a small needle that you gently push straight through the cork. Inert argon gas is injected into the bottle, while as little or as much of the wine that you want flows right into your glass. The argon gas keeps your wine so safe, it's as though you never opened the bottle. 
Want to learn more? Simply click the Corbin link online at GrapeEncounters.com. Oh, wine is a terrible thing to waste. Get your Corbin at GrapeEncounters.com. If you've got a passion for Chardonnay, then you might want to pack your bags at the end of May. Because this year's International Chardonnay Symposium is taking place May 28th through the 30th in the classic Californian beach towns of Pismo Beach and Avila Beach. The Chardonnay Symposium brings top Chardonnay producers from around the globe to the California Central Coast wine country for an in-depth and incomparable exploration of the world's favorite grape and its impact on viticulture, tastemakers, and the wine market. The 2015 event lineup will include two grand wine tastings, educational seminars, expert panel sessions, winemaker dinners, and plenty of opportunities to talk Chardonnay with industry leaders, tastemakers, and fellow enthusiasts. The International Chardonnay Symposium on the California Central Coast, May 28th through the 30th. Do you know the way to Chardonnay? Find out everything you need to know at thechardonnaysymposium.com. She once described a wine as a dusty old trunk from the attic. And we were all glad she was doing the sipping. It's Sipping with Sarah with Sunset Magazine's Sarah Schneider on Grape Encounters Radio. There's only so much wine you can drink. It's time for Sippin' with Sarah, and we have a very special guest today. We've never had a guest on Sippin' with Sarah other than me. It's funny that we call it Sippin' with Sarah. We don't even say it's Sippin' with Sarah and David, right? Your whole show is Sippin' with David. Oh, <laughs> oh, I see. So, But this is going to be special today. Do you want to introduce this segment? I don't have your flair. But um, who's our special guest? Our special guest today is Annie, who is David's wife. Hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Her first time on Grape Encounters Radio. And the reason that she's on is it's actually twofold. The first is that Annie and I met at the Los Angeles International Wine Competition, where she's a very renowned packaging judge. Which didn't is, even know that. You didn't know that? I did not. That's why she picked me. <laughs> I walked You're up, she package. said, nice package. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, she is a packaging judge and has been involved in the wine industry for a really long time. But actually, there's three reasons why Annie is on. The second reason is, for my birthday, she got me something that I couldn't afford to buy myself hmm. on the meager salary that I make doing Grape Encounters. <laughs> <laughs> and Annie, can you tell them what you bought me? It's a Corvin. A Corvin, yes. And Sarah, you probably would be the best one to describe what a Corvin is because a lot of people don't really know what this device is. It's pricey, actually. It is pricey, but it's kind of ingenious. Okay, go for it. So it's a very elegant, almost spacey looking device that has a small needle that you go straight through foil and cork on a bottle of wine. Presumably, it's a bottle of wine that you care so much about. You've maybe paid a 
lot for or it's old um, you don't just want to pop that cork and pour the whole thing you might want to save it or you're a restaurant and you want to pour a tiny bit of a very good wine and still keep the bottle so this device goes through with a needle and then has a cartridge in it with gas that you can spray a little bit of gas into that and it displaces a little bit of the wine and you can pour a very small let's say a two one and a half to two ounce pour of that wine with one shoot of the gas then it stops and you still have your bottle of wine that's protected with that layer of gas which is argon 65 by the way good to know which is heavy it's heavier than air so it sort of lays on top of the wine like a blanket and it keeps the air from getting to the wine and this is really a great device for people who have wine collections and they have some very old wines and they don't know whether the wines have turned or not right right okay so third reason that annie gets to be on grape encounters for the first time is because she had a friend who was cleaning out her parents' wine collection and dispersing (laughs) these bottles. And these bottles were like really old and you see some of them now sitting on the table. And so we have sitting on the table an ingle nook that goes back to 1972. There used to be a cornerstone winery in Napa Valley, a big chateau. In 72, yes. Right. It was hot stuff. Definitely. Okay. And then our friends over at Lewis and Martini, I'm looking at a 1984 from the North Coast, Cabernet Sauvignon. That's in pretty good shape, by the way. You can see that the wine has not evaporated much in this particular bottle. So probably been stored well. Then there's an Estancia back from 1987. When the winery was completely different, it, it actually makes very good value-oriented wines now, but it was a much smaller winery then um, with different ownership and probably more longevity in that bottle. Okay, and then this one I'm a little concerned about. It's a Louis M. Martini from 1968. Hmm. Odds, and the wine has evaporated pretty far down the neck, which means that probably it's been displaced with air, which means its chances of survival are likely oxidized. Martini was a cornerstone winery in Napa Valley, but, you know, went through some hard years, maybe some lesser quality years as well. So when you came into the studio today, did you have any idea that you were going to get the opportunity to try some of these wines? No. Because you would never be I able can't to buy You cannot buy these wines, these. right? You cannot buy them. Uh, okay. So let's talk about the Corbin. So the device looks like a medical device, right? It does a little bit. Or maybe something off of Star Trek, perhaps? A construction tool on Star Trek. It's really a beautiful device. And it, actually, a con- well, not even a construction tool. It looks like it could kill people. That's true. Laser and, Apparently, there was some concern over that because they issued to all Corvin owners this little neoprene pouch. And the pouch is supposed to go around the bottle before you stick the needle into the bottle and insert the gas because I guess a few compromised bottles were exploding. I think I heard that too, and it happened a few probably times. Probably it was, you know, flawed glass or something. But, but yeah, curse just... you, Consumer <laughs> Product Safety Commission. <laughs> All right, so I'm sticking the needle into the Lewis M Martini. Okay. Okay, and the needle slides right in. That's a bad sign, right? That corks 
pretty soft. It's not protecting much, that's for sure. Okay, now there's this little grip that goes around it. Okay, just what I pull this little lever here. You've done this before. I've done it once or twice. Um, All right, so now you, you it, squirt, it squirts out pretty fast into the glass, and I'm not liking the color of this wine thus far. It's not looking good. I can smell it already. You know, it's counterintuitive, but red wine does get lighter as it gets older, but this one is really, really oxidized looking, brown, amber. Give it a smell. Oh, that face I've never seen before. <laughs> I'm afraid it smells a little bit like a muddy hayfield. <laughs> what do you think, Annie? <laughs> Shall we? Let's let's give it to Annie. Let her drink it first, huh? All right, I'll taste it. Okay, so before Annie takes her first sip, we're going to take a little bit of breather and get ourselves situated here. We'll be back with Sipping with Sarah and Annie on Grape Encounters Radio as we taste these very old wines and see if they're precious or poison. Grape Encounters Radio is always on the lookout for great story ideas, even if they're completely and totally off the wall. So here's the deal. Share your story ideas with me or send a question you'd like to hear answered on the show. If I use your question or suggestion, I'll send you a special gift from EpicStyle.com. I want to know what you want to know. You can contact me on the Grape Encounters Radio group page on Facebook or email David at GrapeEncountersRadio.com. If you've got something for me, I've got something for you. If you'd like to hear more no-nonsense talk about wine and all the fun that goes with it, check out winetalkshow.com. At winetalkshow.com, you'll find a massive library of content for fun-loving, unpretentious people who aren't afraid to step outside the lines and challenge conventional wisdom. We'll take you places you've never been before. That's a promise. Expand your wine horizons in unimaginable ways at winetalkshow.com. A lot of people ask me why Manzanita Manor's incredible Portuguese dessert wine is called Two Horse. Well, the reason behind the name is as extraordinary as the wine itself. It's because the owner and winemaker at Manzanita Manor Organics actually uses two beautiful horses to pull the plow on her farmland. When you take your very first sip of the Two Horse Vineyard's irresistible dessert wine, you'll immediately experience the winemaker's unparalleled connection to the land. It's what really makes it so good. You can purchase this exceptional wine online, as well as their purely delicious walnut oil, 100% organic heirloom walnuts, and free-trade chocolate-covered walnuts. To learn more about all the Manzanita Manor Organics products, visit mmorganics.com. You can order all their walnut products there, and bottles of Two Horse, of course. Purchase and shipping subject to state and local regulations. Please see mmorganics.com for more information. Do, 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 do. Wine. Okay, we've got some very, very old wine bottles here. We've opened up the first one. Are they precious or poison? Well, my wife, Annie, is going to take the first sip. Uh, Annie, are you ready? All right, I'll taste it. All right, she's going. Annie is tasting the wine. This wine is definitely turned. <laughs> <laughs> You're so gentle on it. How many years ago do you think that turned, Sarah? Like 20, 30 years ago, probably? 
I think it's been turned for a while. Okay, yeah. it's been gone. But we got the bottle. We still have the wine in it. And, the, you know, the nice thing about it is if you get your hands on some bottles like this, it, this is a lot of fun. Now, I'm looking at the – we have another Louis M. Martini from 1984. So who's going to do the math on that? How old is that one? 9404. That would be 30 years. Okay, so 30-year-old bottle of wine. As opposed hard, hard to come by, right? Very hard. Yeah, okay. It has to be in somebody's cellar. Okay, so, or somebody's parents' house. Right. That, okay, so, all right, so I'm, I'm going to do this again. I'm taking the needle, I'm inserting it down in through the top of the bottle, slides down. So, it's so easy, it's so... Oh my gosh. All right. So it's in and now I've got a clean glass here. Push it forward. The wine comes out a little. How do we, how do you stop it? Okay. That stops it. Now I'm looking at this one and this one is not, oh yikes. Oh yikes. This must have been stored in, in Tucson. <laughs> Out in the garage. Uh, I had high hopes for this one. It, it, honestly, the bottle had zero evaporation in it. I'm smelling it. Mm. What did you? It's, it well, smells like dirty laundry. Oh, that's not a good and that's sign. That's nothing uh, against the Martini wines because uh, I love Mike Martini out there, but um, I think I'd rather have a Martini. The color not so bad. Um, it still has a fresh looking um, okay, redness I'm passing, to it. I'm passing it around. I've had all my shots. We're all drinking out of the same glass. Oh my gosh. Well, when I get it in this slide, it is pretty brown and oxidized. She's drinking. Um, no, you're not even going to sip it, are you? You're I, not I even know gonna... I am, but, but I just smelled it. And that is, if there is a classic over-oxidized wine, um, by that I just mean through time, this is it. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> it just is gone. It's gone. Is this sad or what? I need a funeral here. Oh, my gosh. And usually you can give it to Annie. She'll drink anything. <laughs> we have this bottle of uh, of Hammer Sky party of party of four. This is pretty good, right? It is pretty good. Yeah. More lo- this is this is really splendid. helping right now. Yeah, yeah. It is. It, it's it's fresh. It brings us back. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, uh, Doctor Hauk, for this <laughs> because this is like saving us from these oxidized wines. Do, do we dare go after the Ingle? You want to go after all of them, don't you? I especially want to go after that Ingle Nook. You do. All right. Well, let's I, do it. I, Annie, I, is that okay? Can, sure. Okay. Yeah. We're okay. You got the esteemed wine editor of Sunset Magazine. You'll never get to do this with anybody with greater credentials. Oh. Don't well, let Wilfred Wong hear that. <laughs> Here comes the Ingle Nook, 1972. Now, you know what's interesting about this is I had a 1972 Chateau Montaleda Chardonnay made by Mike Gergich. Wow. And um, at his uh, 93rd birthday party, and that wine was still holding Chard- strong. But it was in a wine cellar, of course. You know, and th- these were in somebody's cabinet. Okay. Uh, it does make a difference. It, more. Oh, oh. Started spraying everywhere. Did you see that? What the heck? I maybe it's not in all the way. Oh my gosh, this thing is spraying. We're having every- a volcano. Hmm. Oh my. Okay, now I'm going to tell you what this one's. I know I, I've got wine everywhere. The thing just <laughs> the thing just sprayed everywhere. But now try this. This is a 72 angle nook. I'm I'm not even going to say anything. You just try it, okay? I'm handing it across the studio to Sarah. Uh, there's a she sniffs. She says it smells like an interesting old suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> 
that has more going on. That wine is yeah. not turned. It, it it still is interesting. It's still interesting. It's not oxidized completely. No, no, no. It still has barely, barely, barely a little fruit. But that's what a wine's going to do. That's that. I mean, typically that old, you know, people think I'm going to lay it down, you know, till I'm an old man or woman. <laughs> no, 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 no. But that wine's alive still. It is. And it's just an acquired taste. I'm licking it off the table. <laughs> Why did this spew everywhere? What's the deal with that? I should have put the, 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 I don't want to call it a wine condom, but that's kind of what it is, right? <laughs> that wouldn't have helped. That wouldn't have helped. That was, that was for the bottom of the bottle. All this right. is coming out the top. Okay. But, but I, so it, I think this is a, a really good statement about Inglenook, which most people know as a cheap jug wine, supermarket wine, but, but actually, um, the, the original winery in Napa, Inglenook, the big chateau, which Francis Ford Coppola bought, um, He's pulled it all together, the whole property, and bought the name back now. So there is now a, a high-end Inglenook again, like this was in 1972. We are sitting around the studio. We have some very old bottles of wine that were recovered uh, from an elderly couple's house. Have they passed on? No, they have not passed on. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I buried. Well, what out? Why did they leave these wines behind? They are clearing out um, their house. It was in Tehachapi. Oh, gosh. Tehachapi, for those who don't know, Tehachapi is like, that's like desert. <laughs> well, it's very cold in the winter and very hot in the summer. Yeah, it gets like 400 these, degrees these in the summertime. In, these were in the closet. That voice being my wife, who is uh, really one of the esteemed packaging judges at one of the largest wine competitions in the world. And then sitting next to her is probably the most respected wine editor of any lifestyle magazine in the country. You are, Sarah. Thanks for that. Who else? David. Who else? Well, there aren't very many of us. So well, I know. It's a I small was, group. Yeah, it's a small group of lifestyle magazines. You're number oh, one. Thank you for I that. Do, you know what? I'll tell you it's, what. I will sunset. take on anybody who challenges you. I'll be knocking at you. Oh, you know, I'll be that. like your. I'll be like your big brother to defend you if somebody tries to say that they're more esteemed. <laughs> okay. We have a studio table that is covered with wine, old wine, I might add, 1972 Inglenook wine that was spewed all over the table by our Corv, and I'm not blaming it, by the way, on the device because the device seems to work, yeah, pretty well. Yeah, so I think you, it has. You can suck a little wine out of an old bottle. The integrity remains intact because you're not causing any harm to the wine because you're not introducing air into the bottle. Actually, you're probably helping it out by putting some argon in there. Right. Right. Yeah. Because uh, if you don't put argon in there, later on you'll be saying, oh my gosh, our wines are gone. <laughs> <laughs> Like that old Inglenook yeah. all over the Look table. At, can you see how much wine is? I like it's like you know it didn't spray on the microphone though. You hear that little sound? That's yeah, my microphone's going down. Anyway, I'm letting the Inglenook just kind of. I'm just enjoying the fragrance of it. That was fun though. The, the Inglenook was really in fairly good shape. It had all of those characteristics that aren't fruit that come out when the wine gets older and older and older. And <clears throat> and some people, most of us aren't used to that uh, that profile because we. It doesn't, really taste, it doesn't taste good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, you know, it doesn't taste good. But there's so much interesting stuff going on in there. You know what I really love? I love to drink Madeiras. Well, you're talking some age there. Yeah, I've had some 200-year-old Madeiras. Oh, goodness. Yeah, and but, but they're pre-oxidized, so there's no problem. It's like permanent press. Oxidation is part yeah. of the, the package. Yeah. yeah, it is. And And those are interesting because what I love about Madeiras is that 200 years ago, they, they grew the grapes up on the top of the mountain on the island of Madeira. 
which is, um, you know, roughly between Spain and Africa. Right. It's really hot there. And the wines are going to oxidize. And they don't care about the temperature in the winery because it doesn't matter. And the, the kind of grapes that they use, a lot of them, by the way, extinct now. So you can buy Madeiras that are made from grapes that don't exist on planet Earth anymore. That is so fascinating. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And what, what they did, product does and what they did, they'd crush the grapes up on top of the mountain. And then they would take a, a sheepskin. And, and it wasn't like a Boda bag. We're talking about a Boda bag made out of entire, out of an entire sheep. And they would sew the whole thing up, right? And then they would crush the juice and they'd put it in the sheepskin. And then they would, it would sometimes take a couple of days to trek down from the top of the mountain down to the seashore where they finished the wine and they stored it for years. Those mountains are precipitous on that. They're precipitous is exactly right. And so what did the wine do? It picks up the taste, not of a barrel, but of a sheep, a dead sheep. And so when you drink those 200 euro, why are you looking at me like that? You don't like lamb chops? <laughs> um, sure. Anyway. Just do the pairing okay. all a, at once. That's a bad taste. Oh, God. <laughs> you see why I keep her away from the microphone? <laughs> all right. Anyway, so they, they haul the um, sheepskins down. And you know what, what would happen, by the way, a lot of the time is that the guys who were hauling, and it was guys, it wasn't women. I'm sure. sorry. I'm not being sexist. But they would haul it down and they would drink some of the wine is that the it was fermenting at that point they would drink it and then they would refill it with water along the way <laughs> so we kind of water down the wine a little bit did you know all this i didn't oh yeah but would the water affect the fermentation uh no it would just affect the amount of alcohol but see what would happen is it's a fortified wine obviously so like they over the years continue to add add sugar to it so who cares yeah. but you can taste that sheepskin 200 years later in those wines and they're Easy. really not expensive this is the funny thing is is that for the price of a good napa cab you can buy a 200 year old madeira and i guarantee you i mean it's going to be gold in color kind of goldish red right it's so good Amazing. and you can taste that you know you, you, you can taste the history in that wine more than anything else that i know because of the way that they made it and what's also interesting about that wine is is that they make a conscious decision that they're going to keep some of this wine for like a thousand years or whatever and so they only sell a certain amount each year sure. or each decade and they consciously keep some of the wine around for hundreds of years sounds like a brilliant business model and then they they put it in bottles and then they con then they from time to time recork those bottles mm -hmm. i have a couple of hundred year old ones upstairs hmm. okay i well i drank them <laughs> i just have the bottles okay all right estancia it is what can you tell us about the estancia vineyards sarah schneider you know i don't know about about those years of, of well, about, how about today um, now it's a large operation um, the the winemaker is is actually a hugely talented guy um, he was actually a beer brewer um, by choice in college um, but he's now with Estancia he took the fermenting stuff to to wine um, and Estancia makes a, a ton of wine so it's, it's a very large operation but they always over deliver on their price they're, they're well priced wines but always you get a little more than you paid for all right so your expectations from this 1987 Estancia stored in the desert of California <laughs> for 27 years. Let's see. We're, Are you hopeful? Uh, not so much. Okay. All right. But all right. I've got, the, I've got the core of it in, I okay. believe. I hope it does not spew all over me like it did the last time. And I hope the bottle does not blow up. Okay. No, we're not going to use the sheath. Okay. Here we go. All right. I'm squirting. 
I'll give this to you. <laughs> Hang on. That's not promising. Well, we're sliding it down the bar. It's it's very very what it's sherry it has the oxidation it's of it's it's sherry matterized um that what what they do to artificially oxidize um a sherry this is what's coming off the nose here it's tart wait wait it's so tart you won't even believe it it's a sherry tart actually that's kind of interesting pass pass it to Annie I know that you but it has that nuttiness and that caramel caramelization yeah I I guess that's that true get a very dry sherry all right so uh, here's the roundup we pulled out the Coravin uh, a very expensive device but very clever it did spew on me a little bit we opened up two bottles of Louis M Martini wines a 1968 and 1984 they did not hold up well the Moral of the story is get yourself a Coravin and you can uh, go gather up some old bottles of wine and you can test them. And if they're good, then invite friends over and show off. And if they're not good, invite friends show over and show off, but don't give them any of the wine. <laughs> it seems fair, right? That's fair. <laughs> okay, coming up next is someone I wish could have been here with Annie and Sarah and I for that last segment, but he arrived just a little bit late. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. We're all guilty of sin. We open a costly bottle of wine and recork it with the intent of drinking the rest later. But later comes and goes, and that delicious wine also goes. South, that is. The Coravin is the most reliable way to enjoy your wine without any concern about the unconsumed wine going bad. And while the Coravin wine access system costs a bit more than other preservation systems, it does something they don't. It works perfectly. The Coravin is a beautifully engineered handheld device that gives you access to your wine through a small needle that you gently push straight through the cork. Inert argon gas is injected into the bottle, while as little or as much of the wine that you want flows right into your glass. The argon gas keeps your wine so safe, it's as though you never opened the bottle. Want to learn more? Simply click the Coravin link online at GrapeEncounters.com. Oh, wine is a terrible thing to waste. Get your Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. If you've got a passion for Chardonnay, then you might want to pack your bags at the end of May. Because this year's International Chardonnay Symposium is taking place May 28th through the 30th in the classic Californian beach towns of Pismo Beach and Avila Beach. The Chardonnay Symposium brings top Chardonnay producers from around the globe to the California Central Coast wine country for an in-depth and incomparable exploration of the world's favorite grape and its impact on viticulture, tastemakers, and the wine market. The 2015 event lineup will include two grand wine tastings, educational seminars, expert panel sessions, winemaker dinners, and plenty of opportunities to talk Chardonnay with industry leaders, tastemakers, and fellow enthusiasts. The International Chardonnay Symposium on the California Central Coast, May 28th through the 30th. Do you know the way to Chardonnay? Find out everything you need to know at thechardonnaysymposium.com. Grape Encounters presents what we heard through the grapevine. Today's top news, trends, and stories. Here's what we've encountered. This is Grape Encounters News. I'm just sick of news. I'm just sick of news. 
It is time for the Grape Encounters news, and we're going to dive into it now with a little help from our friend Larry Gifford, the chief wine news correspondent for Grape Encounters Radio. Hey, Larry. You know, one of the wines that people are most interested in that people are curious about is that two-buck chuck over at Trader Joe's, the Charles Shaw. Yep. Everybody drinks it, or not everybody, but a lot of people drink it, and they seem to always have plenty in stock. You'll see people walking out the door with four and five cases of that. Yeah. How does it come so cheap? Well, I I have a feeling you're going to tell us. I am going to tell you. You know, by the way, it's an interesting thing that people probably don't realize. Just the cost of the bottle, the label, and getting the wine into the bottle and corking it for most winemakers, is around the price of a bottle of Charles Shaw wine. So, yeah, I I think it's a question that people ask a lot. How do they do it? And our friends at Business Insider went on the mission to find out. And here's what they found out, David. Bronco Vineyards is the company that makes it. They take advantage of really cheap real estate in the overly hot San Joaquin Valley. The company ferments the wine with oak chips instead of oak barrels. By the way, for those who don't know where the San Joaquin Valley is, it's in the heart of California, but more inland than the other wine regions that you're more familiar with. The company uses the cheapest form of natural cork available. And it's like a mold of cork pieces glued together with what they call a real cork veneer. That sounds unnatural. (laughs) Okay. Uh, They make wine in super huge quantities. So the Bronco wines make about 90 million gallons a year. That's almost enough to fill your gigantic swimming pool, Larry. <laughs> almost. We're getting close million there. gallons of wine. Uh, can you imagine? I can't even imagine how many tons of grapes it takes to do that. Oh, it's all machine harvested, too. They don't do it by hand, which saves them the manual labor cost. And then the shipping costs are reduced with lighter bottles, which we talked about, and cheaper cartons. And that's it. That's it. So That's they, a secret. And I, I do want to say this about Two Buck Chuck. It's like, I don't personally drink it, but I'm also never going to badmouth it because a lot of people love it. And I've always said this, that if you enjoy inexpensive wine and you're not longing for something even better, then drink what you like and don't let the price affect your decision. If it's inexpensive and it's yummy to you, then by all means, enjoy. I'll drink to that. The state of Pennsylvania conducted a several months long undercover operation and a 20 hour raid on a couple's home and found... 2,400 bottles of fine wine bought legally, but they seized the entire collection, David. What were they doing in my house? (laughs) (laughs) Turns out this man had gained access to the inventories in California that were off limits to everyday wine buyers. And so he let friends and colleagues join in purchasing wines from these suppliers, but he didn't charge them extra for it, just a conduit. And someone complained that he was selling wine in Pennsylvania without a liquor license. The state investigated. They charged him as an unlicensed dealer, seized all his wines. And now, not only do they have his wine, they're going to destroy it. $160,000 worth. I'm so unclear on this story. Who made the wine? Do you know? Well, from all over. He bought it off the internet. Oh, so you're saying that he bought all of this wine from different resources And then he was reselling it. He was not reselling his wine. He was buying wines from fancy places. Yeah. And as he was making his orders, people would say, hey, can you give me a bottle of that? Can you give me a bottle of that? So he would put their orders in bulk with his. Uh Uh-huh. And and the wines we delivered to him, and he'd deliver them to the people. But did he have a license to resell the wine? No. He didn't. No. Why are they destroying it? Because it's Pennsylvania. They got a lot of backwards laws in Pennsylvania as it comes to alcohol. So just because it's Pennsylvania. Yeah. I mean, it's probably a law that's held over from, you know, prohibition. 
Well, it just seems to me that Pennsylvania is the seat of freedom here in this country, and we should be free to be able to buy those wines from him dirt cheap. <laughs> exactly. Can we go to the event, the wine destruction event? And, Ooh. and, and wouldn't that be, well, it wouldn't I, be, that would be it would, sad. It would be painful. Huh? It would be painful. Are to they going to just like, they should put it live on the internet. Though. Are they going to empty the bottles one by one? <laughs> well, he's fighting it in court and he's uh, saying it's unconstitutional and he wants all his wine back. All right. Okay. What else you got? <laughs> do, you, do you like pie, David? You mean the mathematical formula? No, 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 no. The, the key lime pie or the apple pie oh, or yeah, the pumpkin, apple yeah. crumble, peach pie. I love key, key lime pie. You love key lime pie. My favorite is coconut cream pie. Your co- coconut cream pie. Okay. So MMN.com has a little handy pie chart out about what wines go with pies. A pie chart. Very funny. <laughs> really? All right. Yeah. It's, uh, with key lime pie, they're saying you should serve a soft blanc. Okay. A Riesling for your apple pie. That makes sense. Chardonnay for pumpkin pie. Weird. A champagne for apple crumble. Champagne for apple crumble. Okay. Yeah. Cherry pie is a Syrah. That makes sense. Blueberry pie. Pinot Noir. Petite Syrah. Seriously? Well, I suppose All you All right, could... it starts with a P. <laughs> Chocolate cream pie is Merlot. All right. And uh, if somebody wants to check that information out, M- is there a website or something? MNN.com. M-N-N? Yep. Dot com. Yep. Okay. So the word men misspelled. <laughs> All right. We just have a minute or two more. French scientists have found that vigorously shaking a bottle of champagne can actually decrease the pressure that builds up inside the bottle. The key, it seems, is waiting for the right amount of time before opening the All bottle. All right. Who commissioned this study? Uh, it was uh, the University of Reigns, uh, and they found that... You know, although the pressure initially drops when the champagne is shaken, huge numbers of bubbles form in the neck of the bottle. And if you wait three and a half minutes, <laughs> it will be less pressure when the cork comes out. All right. This is totally counterintuitive. It is. So I'm so, so shake it vigorously for 20 seconds and then let right, it sit for know, three and a half minutes. I don't even know why we're doing this story. This is a ridiculous story. And if somebody paid money to commission this study, you know, the joke's on you. Well, the, the you same should just group. learn how to open a bottle of champagne. <laughs> how do you open a bottle you of champagne without a cloth a... around it? And then you slowly twist it. And as you're twisting, you almost, you know, as you start to feel it give a little bit, you're actually pushing down, not up. And it's a twisting back and forth motion. Rotate the bottle. Don't rotate the cork. At least that's how I do it. And it just sounds like a little poof. Oh. And anyway... Don't let your mind go there. Okay. All right. Anything else? Well, that same group discovered that cooling champagne to 39 degrees slows the cork's speed by 25% when it leaves the bottle. Okay. So these there are you people, go. Some... These are people with too much time on their hands. And too much money. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's the news as we see it. That's dude. it? Man, talk about a slow news week, Larry. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. You never know what part of the country or the world the Grape Encounters microphones will take you to. Don't miss a single experience. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition.